Good morning. If we are continuing our series of messages in the book of Mark, it says on the cover of your bulletin called The Struggle is Real. The message this morning is titled Finding Your Life. It's going to be from Mark chapter 8. So you have a copy of the Bible. Turn there, turn it on, however you access the scriptures, Mark chapter 8. Let me just take a minute before we dive into this message to give a brief update um, about our annual meeting, which was this past Tuesday evening. We do it every year. It's, you know, it's a big meeting, and uh, it's our biggest, you know, sort of, you want to call congregational meeting of the year. And for those of you who weren't there, let me just very briefly tell you what we did. We, you know, presented and approved our 2017 budget. We elected our officers that we do for the year. And there was one really significant transaction uh, back to, if you remember all that we've talked about in the facility last year, one of the things that's been on the top of the list for a long time is the roof of the whole school building. It's a big project. But that was presented and approved, and that's already been, um, already had um, uh, bids for that even before the meeting because we've been looking at it for a while. So that's a huge praise and, and forward motion for that um, big item. But then also the last, let's say, I don't know, 35 minutes, 45 minutes of the meeting, we saved it, was really giving you an all an update um, on all things REACH initiative. So I don't want to repeat that, but I'll just hit the highlights. What basically we said is very good news. First of all, started with, you know, reminding us sort of in a celebratory way what we did last year, what you did raised a little over $4.8 million in pledges. We received already close to a million dollars in cash. And uh, the number of families, we had about 430, 40 um, participated in individuals is are inching its way up uh, toward closer to 500, which is really our goal. So that's a huge, huge uh, praise. But also because of your uh, amazing response, um, we've been spending the last, you know, better part of two months, really, since early December when we made this announcement, meeting and planning, um, taking some action. And we did some updates, both on our international and local partnerships. We've taken first steps, talked a little bit about those, and lots more to say, probably, the mature, that we hope that we'll mature this fall. Uh, and also on our facility, we've met with architects, designers, engineers, um, and we believe, all right, uh, it's ambitious, that we can take, do some, a good amount of this work, not only on this, this room and our school building, but even perhaps first steps on drawings for um, at least part of uh, a, uh, a children's uh, family wing in the back. So that's all amazing, and, uh, but we need a lot of things. Number one, we need prayer. Um, from you all. We talked about that Tuesday. We're going to need your engagement over the next uh, many weeks. We have a, um, to, we'll be sharing more information over the next six weeks just to pray, engage, ask questions. We'll have some sort of town hall meetings, I think, in, in mid or late March. And then we'll need your approval. Um, it's one thing to raise the money, then we have to get your approval to do some of this work, which we hope to plan to present to you. Um, the 21st of March. So I just wanted to update you in case you weren't there. Um, it's going to be an amazing year, I believe, in this church. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through Mark 9, verse 1. Let's read or I'll read, follow along as I read. Jesus and his disciples went into the villages around Caesarea Philippi, 
On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? But what about, or excuse me, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked to his disciples. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulteress, and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Now this is a, uh, many people who write, you know, a, a Bible scholars and commentators would say about these very verses that we just read it's a turning point in the book of Mark and they say that for two reasons one reason is if you were to read the whole book in a sitting you'd see that there's a a geographical um, change of gears Jesus spent much of his early ministry it's half of Mark's gospel but it's most of his ministry we're probably at almost three years here in Galilee right He'd eventually go down to Jerusalem, but most of it he spent in Galilee where the more, let's say, the more <coughs> fervent, serious Judaism was. It was up there. All the 12 disciples were from Galilee, right? Up there in the north. That's where Jesus wasn't born, but where he was raised. That's where he spent most of his ministry. And you might say it was, it was familiar territory, right? That's where, there was, you know, that's where uh, the, as I said, the disciples were from, and, and they, all, they all valued um, the more purest ideas of Judaism, and it was familiar territory. But Jesus didn't come just to you know, make a name for himself or write a book or you know, get, make it a television show. He came for a specific purpose, and he knew that purpose was going to be in Jerusalem, in very unfriendly territory, in the, in the seat of power. And Jesus at this point basically says, now we're going down there. And it's, it's, it's the beginning of his march toward Jerusalem. And as the heat turns up on Jesus, okay, this is about you and me, right, the disciples, the heat's going to turn up on people who follow Jesus. And so Jesus takes a minute in this passage, right? It's, it's being a good parent. It's being a good leader and saying, listen, I want to make sure you know where we're going right now, right? Before I take you there, I want to make sure I can prepare you for the nature of this journey. And where we're going right now is the heat's going to turn up on you. So I want to ask you a question as they're walking along. Who do people say that I am? Well, they say you're one of the prophets. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say Moses came back from the dead. There were a number of um, people, the number of, of comments out on the street. Jesus said, good, who do you say that I am? Because right now I'm interested in what you say. 
because I'm calling everyone. I want the, I, the gospel's open to everyone, but I'm going to start this mission with you. And it's very important to know what you say. You've spent three years almost with me, walking, talking, seeing miracles. We've spent some time together. I want to take your temperature. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Wow. Jesus, I think, expected a better answer, and he got one, right? You are the Messiah. But in the next few verses, Jesus begins to tell us something that's real important. Who Jesus is, technically, or you know, from his title, he's the Son of God, and what Jesus actually came to do, which is what he says in the next two verses, they're intimately related. So Jesus says, you got the right answer, but now let me unpack that for you. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers, and he must be killed and rise again the third day. Jesus isn't saying, oh, by the way, we're going to run into some troubled waters when we go down to Jerusalem. He's saying much more than that. He's saying, listen, by the way, you got the right answer. But let me tell you what that means, right? What does that actually mean? And Peter, when he gets to the end of that, as the spokesman says, whoa, wait a minute. I, we want you to be the Messiah, but not that kind of Messiah, right? I have a very different vision of what it means for you to be the Messiah. So he took Jesus, who he certainly knew, if not was the Son of God, was pretty important, He's seen him, he'd given his life in many ways towards Jesus, followed him, and here he is, you know, three years later, and Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Can you imagine? Jesus, just kind of a minute, time out, kind of a minute of your time. What are you thinking? You're going to suffer and you are going to die. And here's the point uh, for all of us in this important passage. We need to get to know who the real Jesus is. And this doesn't happen overnight, by the way. It's part of your everyday life. But we need to get to know who the real Jesus is. I've been watching someone, a friend of mine, turn me on to this show. It's about post-Civil War America. And it's about the, uh, it's about the rail, building the, the, the transcontinental railroad. And it's this very interesting sort of docudrama. And one of the leaders of this um, um, effort is this black man who once was, before the Civil War, a slave. But he's taken on this position of leadership. And he's, you can see all the struggles of being a leader in general, of being a leader as a, as a former slave and a black man, as a part of this, you know, this new adventure of building the railroad. And one of the reasons he is a leader, among others, is because he, as a slave, knew how to read when most slaves didn't. And he's in one of these moments in this show, and all of a sudden he has this flashback as a childhood, and he's standing there as a seven-year-old in front of these, you know, the guy who runs the plantation and three of his buddies smoking cigars, and the guy who runs the plantation this slave was from was showing off to his buddies that he had taught this seven-year-old slave boy to read. He says, boy, open up that book. And he opens up the book, and it's a copy of the Bible, and he reads, you know, in, in, in the King James English, and this seven-year-old boy says, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her by the washing and regenerate. It's just beautiful reading, and he closes the, the book, 
and the other friends of this, uh, uh, you know, a plantation owner say, boy, aren't you worried? I mean, you're going to get all your slaves are going to start reading. They're going to get so smart. They might just decide to walk off the, the, you know, the plantation. And he says with his self-satisfied smile, he says, boy, let me ask you a question. He says, do you understand what you've read? Do you know what it means? And the boy said, no, sir, I don't. And he said, you can go now, okay? That's the moment we're having here with the disciples, right? That's the moment Jesus is saying with the disciples. Well, who, who do you say that I am? Well, you're the Messiah, but do you know what that means, right? Let me tell you what that means, guys. It means that I must suffer. It means that I must die. Is this really the person you want to follow? I heard this um, radio interview just within the last few weeks with somebody who was, a, was a, a newspaper columnist, and they said the most read and emailed and tweeted article in all of the New York Times newspaper in 2016, guess what it was about? It wasn't about Trump, no. It wasn't about Trump, it wasn't about immigration, it wasn't about the New England Patriots, okay? The number one article was written by a marriage counselor, and the title of the article was this, Why You Should Marry the Wrong Person. That was the article, right? You like that? Okay, you're thinking, wow, I should have wrote that, you know, but here's the essence of the article. What he was saying is this, when people get married, right, they don't really know the person very well that they're marrying, right? How well can you know someone that you've known for a year, eight months, or whatever the case is? He said, our, our, the, this, the article said, essentially, our understanding of love is, in our popular culture is, is screwed up. And he said, the truth is, most people don't know the person they're marrying the day that they marry them. But over the course of a marriage, they begin to understand who that person really is. And the real trick, the real secret to marriage is able to see a person for who they really are and then to learn how to love them, right? That's what's going on here. And Jesus is calling people and saying, listen, I want you to follow me, but do you know what it really means? Do you know who I am? And when he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, that's, you know, imagine being Peter. It's not just your friend telling you that. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan. He doesn't think Peter is really Satan. He's saying, Peter, you're acting like Satan because in being so self-serving in your faith, right? Peter was all very excited to follow Jesus. Some of us are, but we're excited to follow him as long as he's going in the direction that we want us, him to go, right? As long as you're going over there and that's where I want to go, then I'll follow you. Two weeks ago, I was here uh, sharing this message and with permission, I shared this story of this guy who struggled with alcoholism. And he said, for 10 years as I've been struggling with alcoholism, he said, I was really strong in my faith. I was honest in my faith. And he said, I pray, I can't tell you how many times I prayed, Rob, to God to, to answer this prayer. And he goes, I would pray the prayer, but I would also give God the answers to the prayer. And he goes, one of the great insights that's changed in my life recently is I started to pray to God, but I no longer give him the answers, right? That's what's going on here. He's saying, listen, Peter, do you really want to follow me? It means you need to go where I'm asking you to go. Two times, he says, notice the word must in verse 31 and 2. 
He must suffer. He must die. Right? It's not a small ancillary thing. This is central to who he is. Many people have said to me over the course of my ministry, but even recently, you know, pastor, we need more meat in our, in general, right? We need more meat. The pastor smiling over here, Jason's dad, right? How many times have you heard that in your ministry? We need more meat. What do they mean by that? Whether it's meatier sermons or teachings and things and with students all across the board. And let me say this, as we talk about the REACH initiative, right? Uh, uh, it has to start with us, right? If we, a healthy church is a growing church. We, we, we need to go deeper in our, in our relationship with Jesus. And, and we're gonna, I'm going to think hard about where we need to get more meat because maybe we need some more meat. But let me say this. For many of us, I would suggest to you, we don't need more information as much as we need more courage and commitment to do what God has already asked us to do, to actually go in the direction God has already asked us to take. That's really what we need. Our problem for many of us, maybe not all of us, is not uh, an intellectual problem. It's a volitional problem, right? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you know that you ought to be outside of you know, uh, a business trip or a family. You need to be in church when the doors are open on a Sunday. All right? you don't, do you need another sermon on that? How many of you should know that you need to be involved in an accountable community with others? We call it a small group, people who can share accountability with you and you with them, and you're praying and you're growing. Love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Are you doing that? How many of you are serving actually involved, whether it's in student ministry or in, in, in the city, as we just got done talking about, actually using your gifts. How many of you are inviting other people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus in your everyday life? See, the problem with many of us is not a lack of information. It's a lack of commitment and courage to do what God has asked us to do. Let me take a minute in the middle of this sermon, an application. If you're, a, you know, a, a, a member, certainly, but even a regular attender, you'll get an email. You already got it this morning to take this 2017 self-assessment. We do it every time this year. It's anonymous, but why do we do it? Because it basically asks, I took it this morning, early, takes about 10 minutes, 15 maybe. Uh, it asks you some, some questions, reflective of the spiritual measures we put forth as a church, right? I pursue my relationship with Jesus by praying every day, never, rarely, occasionally. I pursue my relationship with Jesus through the scriptures, and here's how. I'm involved in a small group, etc. right? Why do we do this? To keep the vision forward to you. you got, these are questions you have to answer for yourself, right? But it also helps us as we're trying uh, to plan uh, uh, for the year ahead, right? Strongly encourage you, please, to do that. We'd like to get everyone in this room to do it uh, between now and the end of this month. But let me say also, say just take a minute and address anyone in the room here this morning speaking of getting to know the real Jesus who's never really committed your life to Jesus, right? And you might say, well, Bob, I'm in church this morning. You're talking to the wrong crowd. Am I? Right? Jesus is talking to the 12 disciples. Who do people say that I am? And you know what? They got it wrong. Well, you're the Messiah. Let me ask you a question, Peter. Do you understand what you just read? 
Do you know the meaning of that? Well, no, sir, I don't. Do you? Jesus said, he must suffer, he must die. Is Jesus Christ, I'm asking you here, is he your savior? I don't care how good you are, no matter what background you have, whether you have a college education, a post-college education, what, what party you vote for, what, you know, it doesn't make any difference whether you are a person of high moral integrity, a person of low moral integrity. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He must suffer. He must die. He died for you. And the only way to receive the gift that God has given to us, is offered to us, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. You can't religion your way to it. You have to humbly receive it, like everyone does, in a manner of speaking on your heart and say, God, forgive me. Thank you for what Jesus has done. Have you done that? So let's take a minute right now. Everyone is, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If this is not your story, that's okay. Pray for the people around you. But if you'd say, Rob, in my heart, I'm asking you to, to stand up, you'd say, honestly, in my heart, I've never received the forgiveness of Jesus. I've never fully understood him for who he truly is. He's not simply, simply a model of good behavior. He's not simply a great teacher. He's not simply a moral leader. He's a savior who must suffer and did suffer, who must die and did die for me. And I want to receive him. In the quiet of your own heart, right, say these words or like words like these from your, sincerely from your own heart. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to suffer and die for me. Forgive me today of all my sin because of Jesus' sacrifice. I open my life to you today. Be my Savior and Lord. Send me your Holy Spirit that I might have the power to follow you each and every day in Jesus' name. With every head still uh, bowed, if you prayed that prayer, I want to challenge you. Just slip your hand up wherever you are in this auditorium just so I can see it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hand. Thank you. Hands across this auditorium. Thank you very much for your courage and your um, willingness to open your life to God. Now, everyone look here. Let me say this. If you're one of those folks, we want to help you, right? Not only getting to know who Jesus is, but then truly following him, right? And how you need to do it. If you, don't, if you have a, maybe you don't have a Bible. If you don't have one, we want to put one in your hands. We have Bibles out in our welcome center. Go to the Belong Center. As soon as this service is over, we'll give you one. You want to take a first step in getting involved in a small group with some other people? Come Thursday, guys. Uh, we'll talk about this message in more detail. Thursday morning, 6.30. You're welcome uh, here with me and some other guys here. Let's, we want to help you take a next step. You want to serve not only FMSC that Jill talked about, but other opportunities. Get engaged in your walk with God and let us help you do that. We need to get to know the real Jesus second to the heart of this message. We need to surrender our personal agenda. That's what this is really about, right? Get behind me, Satan. Peter says, listen, I'll follow you as long as you're going in the direction I want you to go. But Jesus says, listen, that's not what it's about, right? It's not about 
me following you. It's about you following me. These verses that many of you have heard, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, are some of the most misunderstood verses in the New Testament. And it's sad and challenging because they're also some of the most important. Some of the most important verses on what it really means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Because it's not simply someone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. What actually is a Christian? And these verses are essentially telling us what it is. And sadly, they're some of the most misunderstood. But what he's saying is this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, all you need to do is want it. But he's not talking here simply about the forgiveness of sin. It's not what discipleship's about. He's talking about a quality of life, right? What is the quality of life that God offers us into being following Jesus? Those of you who are out there, verse 34, he calls not just the disciples but the Christ. Says, Whoever wants to follow me, it's an open invitation to all. And he says two essential things here. Let me very quickly unpack this for you. Two things. You must deny yourself and you must pick up your cross. And I would say to you, I would suggest to you, there are two ways of saying the same thing, right? Now, what is he, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying, that's what some of us think Christianity is. He's not saying you need to deny yourself X, Y, and Z things, right? You need to deny yourself, you know, that sinful habit. You need to deny yourself, you know, um, eating this. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop watching dirty television. I mean, fill in the blank. You must deny yourself certain things. It's not what he's saying at all, right? You're saying, well, pastor, then I can do all those things. Well, according to this passage, you can, okay? Because that's not what he's talking about. It's not an a la carte what you need to deny yourself. What he's saying is you need to say no to yourself as being the primary determiner of the goals and aspirations of your life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you really want to follow me, Peter, I must suffer, I must die. The heat's going to be turned up on me. It's probably going to be turned up on you. And coming to church simply... And checking the box simply does not a Christian make. Do you really want to follow me? That's what he's really asking. Following Jesus is not a, a part-time volunteer work. It's essentially about putting God, ask yourself this question, and his will in the driver's seat of your life. That's what he's saying. And to put God and his will in the driver's seat of your life Something needs to go. And that's true for every single one of us. And it's, not, and it's something, it's a decision. In, in Luke's version, he says, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Every single day. And by the way, what it is is different for each of us. But let me give you some examples. For some of us, that thing that is in the driver's seat in your life, ready for it, you think, oh, it's... It's these horrible list of laundry of sins. No, you know what it is? It's your job. It's your family. You say, well, pastor, are you trying to say that my job, I got to get rid of my job and get rid of my spouse, right? No. But you need to get rid of your job and your family as having the driver's seat in your life, right? When Jesus called the apostles, these guys, James, John, Peter, and Andrew, he said, listen, come follow me. They dropped their nets, 
They left their father in the boat. Doesn't mean they never saw their dad again. Doesn't mean they never fished again. We know they did. But in a manner of speaking, they said, those things are not, no longer going to be at the driver's seat of my life. My life is not going to be driven by my family. My life is not going to be driven by my, 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 my career, right? Have you, is, it, is it true in you? Some of us, you need to renounce your job and your family. Listen, the proud of us in this room need to renounce our desire for status and for honor, Right? We live for those things. We live for people to tell us, good job. We live for that next promotion. We live to be acknowledged for our status and our honor in whatever areas of life we're in. That's the real driver's seat in your life, right? That's what Jesus means when he says, you need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross, and you need to put me at the center of your life. For some of us who are greedy, we need to renounce our appetite for wealth, right? Doesn't mean get poor. Doesn't mean give all your money away. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you it's an issue, some of you it isn't. But if that's really what's in the driver's seat of your life, Jesus is not going to take you on as a part-time follower, right? You need to renounce your appetite for wealth. For the complacent of us in this room, right? We need to renounce a life of comfort and a life of ease. There's some of us in this room and Christians for a very long time. And we work super hard. Our life is just, you know, do anything we can do to, to, to smooth out all the bumps. We haven't said yes to a challenge. We haven't taken a seriously a commitment, a, a serious commitment in our lives to, to really get, to, 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 to give the best of we have to God, to get serious about facing a sin challenge in our life in a very long time, right? For the complacent, it's about renouncing a life of ease and comfort. For the fearful, it's about renouncing a craving for security, right, in your life, in my life. Listen to these words carefully. We're almost done. C.S. Lewis, at the end of Mere Christianity, he says it so well. What does it mean? What does it really mean? Son, do you know the meaning of those words? No, sir, I don't. Pick up your cross and follow me. What does it really mean? C.S. Lewis said this, the more we get to know what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Let me read that again. The more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. He invented, as an author invents characters in a novel, all the different men and women that you and I were intended to be. In that sense, our real selves are all waiting for us in him. It is no good trying to be myself without him. The more I resist him and try to live on my own, the more I become dominated by my own heredity and upbringing and surroundings and natural desires. In fact, what I so proudly call myself becomes merely the meeting for trains of events which I never started and which I cannot stop. Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. But there must be a real giving up of the self. This is the challenge. The very first step is to try to forget about yourself, about the self altogether. Your real new self will not come as long as you are looking for it. It will come when you are looking at him. Do you get that? Okay, that's the key. Look for yourself 
And you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in, right? This is the challenge of this message, right? This is the challenge. We need to get to know who Jesus really is, right? And we need to surrender our own agenda to truly follow him. And by the way, you have to do that every day. I've been a Christian for 35 years. And I got up this morning, you know, the same God helped me take this, you know, it's different for every one of us, it's different. What is, what is really, you know, every single day, what needs to be in the driver's seat, it's, it's a craving for security, it's a hunger for status, you know, it's a desire for human, whatever it is, and it wants to go back into the driver's seat of your life, and every single day, I need to deny myself, that is, not deny myself this or that, deny myself as the primary person who determines what my life is about. I need to deny myself, and I need to allow Christ to be the driver in my life. God's will, God and his will. Question on the back of the bulletin. What do you need to lose in order to build your life on Jesus? That's the question. You know what it is. What do you need to lose? You say, well, how do I understand that, Pastor? Here's the question, right? What is in the driver's seat of your life? What is truly keeping you, as C.S. Lewis said, from turning your life over to him? I think most of us know what that is. In the true followers of Jesus, right? Whoever wants to follow me can do it. You just got to do two things. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. Two things I believe mean the same thing. And follow me. Put me in the center and surrender that which is there now. Let's pray.